Today's episode of the Mets Up Podcast is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. First off, that's huge. And that's what we use here on the Mets Up Podcast. I highly suggest it. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other streaming services. And you're allowed to make money from your podcast from day one with no minimum listenership. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So make sure you guys download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What's up, Messed Up listeners? Back here for episode number 72 of the Messed Up Podcast. Of course, you're joined by your co-host, Giraffe Nick Mark, Mark Luino, here with James Chiano. Jeter had no range, talking about everything going on in the New York Mets world. Uh, there's, a, there's a few things. I mean, we got a bullpen coach. The coaching staff is officially finished. We got Craig Bjornsson. Craig Bjornsson, not Bjornsson. Bjornsson. He's a real character. We're going to go a little deep dive into him as we always do. We're also going to talk about uh, Jeremy Barnes, who's the assistant hitting coach that they now have. We're also going to talk about the labor negotiations because there have been some updates. So we might be looking at baseball sooner than we maybe once expected. Who knows? You'll hear what we have to say. As well as we have an interview with Nick Pollock of Pitcher List. He, he actually is Pitcher List. He's the guy. So make sure you guys uh, stick around for that. It's a really good interview talking about the Mets pitchers. Just a preview on them as a whole, as well as some fancy baseball stuff because he's a big fancy baseball guy, along with James. Um, and that's that's pretty much it that we got here for you guys on this episode of the Messed Up Podcast. So make sure you're following us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all our social media at Messed Up. YouTube channel where we upload the video versions of all this Messed Up Podcast. You can find us there. Uh, if you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you do, five-star rating, five-star review, whatever you want to do, it really does help us out. And that's the perfect time to bring in James. James, how you doing, man? What's up? Good, man. Hanging out, you know. Good day. Good day. Pretty normal. It's nice weather in New York today. Took a bike ride. It was cool. Yeah, a little snow last night, technically, but uh, we're a little, little bit, a little bit. Never hurt anybody, but uh, we ready to talk about a bullpen coach more than we probably ever will talk about him during the actual season? Yeah, no, if you put it up as a, a deep dive, I don't think we have enough ready for a deep dive of him. We're just going to talk about him a little bit. I think just having anything to say about Craig Jornson is going to be a deep dive in of its own because, again, he's a bullpen coach. I mean, Ricky Bones was the guy, what, the last few years? And I couldn't Who, tell say, you. Say, say again? Ricky Bones. It wasn't Bones? No, it's pronounced Bones. Wow, I kind of like yeah. that more. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a little flair to it. But like if my name was Jamez. Jamez Shano, yes. <laughs> but uh, Craig Bjornsson, I, I really want to say Bjornsson badly. Craig Jornson came from the Astros. He's our bullpen coach. He's a bit of a character. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I like him. I like him just based on the fact that there's a video going around Twitter right now of him talking shit to Yankees fans, which is just hilarious because if you guys find it on Twitter, we're not going to quote everything in it, but he's, he's going right back at him, tells him they, they've got small, you know, small packages down there and they're soft and basically everything you'd want to see from a, a coach talking shit to Yankee fans, he was doing and I love it. Definitely. You want to hear a crazy stat about uh, Craig Jornson? Give it to me. Not a stat, more like a fact. We have the same birthday. You and Craig Jornson. Yep. February 14th, me and Craig. Nice difference of age, of course, but... Of course, yeah, he's born in 1969, I was born in 1996, so honestly, right there, that's even kind of like, yeah. Flipped! Right there. 
Nice. I like it. All right, Craig Jornsson. That's our bullpen coach, and that is our deep dive on Craig Jornsson because there is not much else to talk about with him. You also came from the Astros. He was most recently with the Red Sox. He jumped with Cora after 2017 and won actually the championship with the Astros 2017 and the Red Sox 2018. And because he jumped with Cora, I'm sure he also has a relationship with uh, with Joey, the Mets' new third base coach. So that's something. I actually did not know that he was with the Red Sox. I thought he was straight from the Astros. That's pretty good. No, Astros 2014-2017 and Red Sox 2018-2020. Sounds like he's a winner. Definitely a winner. And he's funny. And if you can handle that Red Sox bullpen, which has been a mess for the last three years, you can handle this Mets one, no problem. Even when they won the World Series, it wasn't a good bullpen. No. So Craig Jorensen, that's our bullpen coach. And then you have some stuff on Jeremy Barnes for us, who assistant hitting coach. Matt Eddy talked about him a little bit last week and some good stuff to say. Yeah, Matt Eddy spoke very highly of Jeremy Barnes last week, who the Mets... Um... I don't want to say appointed or maybe gave a promotion to assistant hitting coach this week because he was working with player development last year. And as Matthew Eddy mentioned, that he had a big exit velocity initiative with the Mets organization. And they think they're going to reap a lot of the benefits of that this season. But last season, he kind of got thrown into the fire a little bit and was just meant to be the director of player initiatives, which I don't know anything at all what that could possibly mean. Like, what's a player initiative? Uh, get to the field on time, eat well, and respect your parents. I don't know. Like, a player initiative from, like, the old days was, like, take a strike. Like, that was a player initiative. <laughs> I, I don't know what director player initiatives could possibly mean. But he was uh, a part of the shakeup that happened last year when Chili Davis was let go from his post as hitting coach, which... We never put this together last season, but he was actually let go on the eve of the minor league season. Oh. So I think that was kind of meaningful with the timing because everyone was like, why are you firing Chili Davis now? But I think they actually fired him then because they knew they had these other people in place who they would be comfortable enough elevating to where that was like the last day they thought they could do it. So that was interesting. But that brought Hugh Quadlebaum, as we knew, to the Mets hitting coach. It also brought Kevin Howard to the major league staff as the assistant hitting coach. Both of those guys were slated to work in player development along with Jeremy Barnes. Howard was supposed to be the farm director and Quadlebaum was supposed to be a director of minor league hitting. So when both of those guys were elevated to the Major League staff last year, Barnes basically jumped up two rungs and became just the czar. We've used that word a couple times, the Mets uh, coaching staff. But basically the czar of hitting player development, which is something that him at the time, who's only 34 years old, was probably a little bit over his skis. But he did incredible there, and it made him good enough to be promoted to the Major League staff this year. And he's going to work directly with Eric Chavez uh, with the Major League team. Yeah, and isn't that and Matt Eddie talked about how basically like the Mets were getting good exit velos, right? And he credited a lot of it to Jeremy Barnes and the fact that they were able to get those high exit velos, which as we know around baseball, not not just something that we care about, but everyone cares about is those high exit velos. And for projecting and player success, the harder you hit the ball, the more successful you are going to be. Yeah, there's an incredibly high correlation between your exit velocities and your propensity to get hits and extra base hits, or just your WOBA, but again, to use exit velocity WOBA. Basically, the higher you're going to hit the ball, the better your outcomes are going to be consistently. And him getting promoted now, and now Quadlebaum and Howard moving back to player development with the guy we was talking about a few times, Dan Schoenfeld filling in there, means that they've kind of basically just realigned, like switched everybody to a different spot. Maybe after even seeing for a year how everybody performed in those roles. But I just still do think they're going to get a couple more guys to be in player development. I also think the Mets are probably in a position to hire a couple more coaches. Because right now they only have seven coaches on the Major League staff, and that's Cora, um, Cora Chavez, Kirby, Showalter, Sherlock, Jorensen, and Hefner, seven coaches. Most teams have many more than that. Even last year, the Mets had between nine and ten at a given time because Ricky uh, Meinhold, who was the Mets minor league pitching coordinator, came up and worked with the staff for a certain series, a certain stretch of time themselves. They let Brian Schneider and Jeremy Accardo go, and neither of them were replaced. So I think the Mets are in a position also to still hire a few more coaches, and that could 
happen in the future. Because we saw a lot of teams like the Giants and the Rays and the Dodgers have tons of success in recent history with more coaches, having more coaches at their disposal. I think that's something that would benefit the Mets. The quality control guys, right? Which is what Luis yeah. Rojas originally was, Mark Katze was before he just got the A's job. This seems to be like a hot a hot spot for everybody. Katze was never with the Mets. You mean just in general? Just in general, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. no, not well, with and, the Mets. And Schneider was that for the Mets last year, and he's not coming back. And Akar, though, I think was basically that, but for the pitching side. Yes, yeah. And I, I know that he had, some, I think, stuff going on too, Jeremy Accardo, that yeah. was a little off-the-field stuff. Not personal problems, but, you know, actual issues going on there. But, uh, yeah, those guys aren't back. Definitely could probably bring in a couple maybe young, fresh faces. I'm sure that they have some names in mind. It just seems like, again, there really is no particularly huge rush right now to bring in guys when we are still a pretty good chunk away from the season even beginning. Definitely, especially because also you're – so far away from the regular coaching hiring circuit that you're not going to be able to get accomplished people from other major league clubs. We mentioned last week, but the Mets ran into that with uh, Ryan Flaherty and Andrew Bailey. So the Mets might even just go into the season with only seven coaches or maybe have a couple of these player development guys or uh, minor league people from the minor league staff come up and do some rounds with the major league team. But still plenty of time. There's still no baseball, but there's one coach who the Mets did want to have on this staff, Buck Showalter specifically, to show there is more space and they are willing to bring out more people, and that's Brian Butherfield. And he's notable because he wasn't brought on simply because he wasn't vaccinated for COVID, and that was reported by Ken Rosenthal this week, which I thought was very interesting because that was something that I think we've tied into some of the Mets player moves this offseason. Yeah, it seemed like that was a point of contention last year because the Mets were one of the teams, right, that weren't fully vaccinated that had to still technically wear the masks and stuff um, because there was just a lot of guys that weren't willing to get the shot. And with not being over that vaccination threshold, you aren't allowed to do a lot of things on the road that the teams were who did have that threshold. Like basically the Mets weren't allowed to even leave their hotels without a given reason and a specific place to come back, like basically just to get a grocery or something. The Mets weren't allowed to go out to restaurants or do social things on the road that a lot of other teams were allowed to do. And if you do look how the Mets played last year, we mentioned time and time again how they had much more energy at home and how they kind of fed off that. We figured there was a city field crowd giving credit to ourselves and all you listeners out there. But at the end of the day, maybe there was something about the way the Mets' lifestyles were being handled on the ho- at home versus on the road. Yeah, I mean, do we know? Like this seems to be a conversation that stopped now because there is no mandate or anything like that now anymore with no. the vaccination and stuff but i'm assuming that the guys who aren't vaccinated are still unvaccinated right we can assume that we only knew who wasn't vaccinated on opening day last year and a few of those guys were jeff mcneil michael conforto among a few others some coaches some other players I think jd davis was also on that list and possibly nimmo makes Has sense to be nimmo yeah i mean i'd be, <laughs> be shocked if it wasn't nimmo but it, it does kind of raise the question of how the Mets are going about their player movement this offseason when you look at that and we don't know if those any of those guys got vaccinated this year some of them could have but the Mets still wound up being under the threshold only the entire year one of the few teams who were so that is a little just a, it's like a, a tidbit of interesting information that we would only give you guys because of the lockout yeah like this actually has nothing to do with really anything but we are starving for content that has anything to do with the Mets and we we technically got some with Brian Butterfield who sounds like a fake person that sounds like someone from MLB the show who would be a coach Yes, this is your first base coach you hire all the way down the list when you don't have any money left for your coaching staff on MLB The Show. And he's been friends with Buck Showalter for a long time. They played minor league baseball together in the 80s. He was on his coaching staff with the Yankees and the Diamondbacks. He's got a very good friend. And Buck has said that if Butterfield does decide to have a change of heart, he, where he's going to do everything he can to get him on the staff. Which is just so funny because, again, we got to keep bringing it up. But Buck's like, I'm not just going to bring in my boys. And all he's done is brought in his boys. 
<laughs> I mean, you gotta respect it. I'd probably do something similar if I was the head, the manager of the New York Mets. And listen, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give Buck some credit too because I think in the press conference with him and Billy Epler, uh, they talked about analytics, and Buck was pumped about how big and how robust the Mets analytics department is. And he even gave credit and said part of the reason why he felt like he was limited or you know held back in Baltimore was because they had basically nothing and it didn't exist. So he's super excited to get in and work with these guys to figure out all the numbers and analytics which is a huge sign. That's something that we had huge concerns about going into this season. So that's nice to at least hear him say. Yeah, it was basically the only concern. I do ha- I am happy you brought up that press conference with Buck and Epler because that went right over my head when making this rundown. But it was cool to hear him talk about how excited he was to use information. The fact that he's bringing in all of his friends who also seem to be excited to use the information. And that they actually did say a lot during that press conference about um, like breadth of knowledge and diversity of thought. And I guess that's basically what they mean, bringing the old baseball with the analytics. That's how a lot of teams have been successful over the last few years. Yeah, and like even talking to Trevor May, who I did something with recently, who hopefully we're going to get on the podcast very soon. I'm asking him. I better come out. I'm helping him out too. But he talked about how like from a player perspective, and maybe he'll be able to go a little more in depth on this when he comes on because I'm going to be aggressive and say he's going to come on. But that it's not necessarily about using the numbers exactly. Like He doesn't need Buck Showalter to physically tell him exactly the numbers, which I think me and you would also agree that Buck Showalter shouldn't be the guy translating this information. But the fact that the organization from top to bottom has the same game plan and is under the same idea and is following the same structure, that's really important. And based on the conversation I had with him, maybe the Mets lacked that a little bit last year. Definitely. It's about people being on the same page. It seems like the Mets last year weren't on the same page. And that does make sense because I'm sure there were a lot of changes that happened very quickly within this organization. You have to ease people into things like this. Like, you got to go into the pool by the steps sometimes. Sometimes you do want to jump in, but that's not for everybody. You just got to go in very slowly and make sure you get make sure people are not overwhelmed. And it seems like, at least for right now, the Mets are going to be close to being on the same page, which is a nice breath of fresh air that we haven't seen. Now, speaking of being on the same page, let's just flip scripts and go to the labor union be- or labor agreements. What's it called? Uh, Agreement? Uh, Collective bargaining negotiation? Collective negotiation. That's the word I'm looking for. I was looking for negotiation. Not a whole lot of, uh, you know, well, they are cautioning in there, but there's not a whole lot of agreeing going on, but still there's more than there was. We have got some big updates about what's been going on since last time we recorded. Things are moving forward instead of backwards, which is huge. Definitely, and we do appreciate it. We got some feedback this week about how people enjoyed that we went into it, so we're going to keep going into it as long as it happens, especially because it's the best news we have to talk about. But it seems like after consecutive days of meeting, which is a big, that's a big step in and of itself for these yeah. two groups right here, meeting on consecutive days, that's cool. But it seems like there are really two options right now. Either the owners are going to win in a definitive, fact, uh, definitive way, or we're going to miss baseball. And most people aren't going to like either of those, but it seems to be where we're heading right now. Yeah, uh, the owners seem pretty strong on every stance that they're going to take, and they've even taken some things back just because they're like, all right, you want to play hardball, we'll, we'll just we'll just take it away and we'll miss games. I don't like that. I want the players to still win, and I think the players deserve... Like, the stuff that they're asking for, I don't think is asinine by any means. Like, the negotiation numbers that have come out, the players asked for, what, $105 million for, like, pre-arbitration players, the top mm-hmm. 30 in war or whatever it is to split them amongst them. And the owners came back with 10. Like that's, that's crazy. Yeah. And we'll break down everything that happened right now in these two meetings. So first of all, meeting one that occurred on Monday, the players told the owners that fine, we will not anymore use reducing free agency from six years to five years as part of this negotiation. The owner said, thank you without offering concession back in return. And the players last month who wanted the revenue sharing number total that moved amongst the owners to Dropped to $100 million, now said we'll drop to $30 million. The owner said, okay, thank you, but $10 million is as low as we're going to go. So again, the players made two concessions. The owners both times just took them and said thanks. And then Dick Monfort, the asshole who owns the Colorado Rockies, said, 
complains basically, whines that you don't make that much money owning baseball teams, and that for some owners have had a lot of difficulty making money over the last two years because of COVID. I just I'm playing something even smaller than the world's smallest violin for poor Dick Manfort owning the Colorado Rockies, driving them into the ground year after year. Yeah, that guy, hearing that guy have any opinion on baseball, it should be thrown away immediately. The fact that he's representing the owners should automatically mean the players are right because that guy is a bona fide idiot. He rolled up to the meeting in purple Rockies shoes. Did you see that? No, is that true? Yes. Oh my God. That's, that's and a kind matching of a purple move. tote. A tote? He brought a tote bag with a him. A Rockies tote, yes. Jeez, he's really proud of owning a shit organization, it seems like. Seems like it could be a fine organization. He's just really bad at running it. And then they came back from meeting number two, which occurred on Tuesday, probably yesterday, from when you guys are listening to this podcast. And uh, the players' big thing that they've been wanting is to raise the minimum salary. They want younger players to get paid more money. These are the guys who make up the meet of baseball. I think Eno Saris reports something like 60% of Major League Baseball players are on the minimum salary at any given point, either 60 or 80. But that's still a very significant number. Much more than I think anybody would ever realize, because especially when you talk about guys being millionaires versus billionaires, really most of the baseball players are simply thousandaires. And I feel like this is also, unfortunately, why the owners are able to kind of be holding so strong right now is because a guy like Garrett Cole, a guy like Jacob DeGrom, Max Scherzer, the dude's making those 30-plus million-dollar contracts— Missing a few games here or there to them isn't as big of a deal as someone who's on their rookie contract. Someone like uh, David Peterson missing two or three weeks of the season vastly changes how much money they do make over a season because they are in that lower, you know, minimum salary level. And it almost seems like the owners know this and that's why they're being so, you know, so tough on their numbers and not really budging because the players are going to ultimately seemingly have to make these concessions because the owners just won't definitely and the casuals will be much more aware of those guys than the other than the other people in major league baseball like you're going to be more aware of a Garrett Cole than a David Peterson and that's going to drive the narrative more so in general national media well even the number you just said like I I had an idea that it was going to be close to 50 50 with minimum salary guys versus the dude actually making like significant money but I didn't know it was like going to be as high as you even said and even then like the fact that it is 50 50 Half of the league is making, of course, if you're a normal person, you would love to make this amount of money. You wouldn't complain at all. But you also got to remember you don't throw 95 miles an hour. You don't create billions of dollars in revenue. Like they do a unique skill that allows them to get paid this amount of money. They still need to get paid what they deserve, especially when they bring in this revenue. Definitely. When you're bringing in this much revenue and you're better than 99.999% of the world at anything, like a minimum salary is something that's kind of a relative term. And to get back to that minimum salary, the players offered to raise that salary from $600,000 to $775,000. And eight hundred was the number they were striving for originally. So even that $775,000 was a concession. I know it does sound like a lot of money, but again, we're dealing with people who are profiting tens of millions of dollars a year on this. I think the minimum salary is something that definitely should be addressed. The owners came back with $615,000, which is an absolute slap in the face. And the last time this minimum salary was negotiated was 2017. That's when it rose to 600000 If you simply adjust for inflation from 2017 until today, you have to make it $650,000 to keep up with the $600,000 that agreed upon then. So the owners are basically telling the players, we're going to give you less money relatively to how your dollars work in the world right now. Yeah, they're trying to bend them over a barrel and show them the 50 states right now. And like, it's just... The thing that scares me is I think it might end up working, and that's what I'm not particularly happy about. But like, oh man, I don't I don't know what the players are really going to be able to do because the owners have sculpted it in such a way where the players, unfortunately, are going to look like the bad guys despite not doing anything wrong. Definitely, and that's kind of brilliant from the owner's side because when these meetings concluded, they basically said publicly, and every baseball news outlet said this very publicly again yesterday, 
that they don't care about missing games, that they're willing to miss games to get this negotiation to go the way that they want. So the owners coming to the table two days in a row and giving giving numbers to back to the players while giving the players the opportunity to rebuttal. Now the players are going to have to make their rebuttal as spring training becomes closer. The owners are going to have the ability to villainize them for making an offer that doesn't seem realistic, seem realistic the next time they do come to a table, and then we're going to probably miss games because of it. So it's either you guys take our modest concessions or we all lose. And like that's just not really a fair spot to put the players in. And they're doing it before spring training, which I mentioned last week, one of the players' biggest bargaining chips because they don't make money for that, but the owners do. Yeah, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Was it Dennis says you got 24 hours to control the media, uh, the headline basically. And right now, like... I feel like the owners are controlling it. I've heard nothing from MLBPA, and that's like the one thing that seems like maybe you should make some comments. I don't know. Like everything that's coming from the media is the owners will lose games. The owners are doing this. The owners are doing that. There's not a lot coming from the player side, which is unfortunate because, again, it's going to paint the players in a bad light despite them just looking out for themselves. There's nothing wrong with what they're doing. I don't understand the siding of with billionaires over millionaires still. No, definitely. And they are driving the narrative, which I think is important. But I, I do think that this is a big bluff from the owners and they have called the players bluff originally based on Max Scherzer saying we're okay to miss games because we have this war chest to pay out the minimum salary guys for the future I think the owners saw right through that and we're like all right let's, let's see you guys actually do that let me see the money you're taking out of your pocket Max and paying out to uh to David Peterson again to use the example again but you don't like say we're okay to miss games on January 24th if you actually mean it you know and like they were very willing to miss games in 2020 but it was a very different situation then like, no one really knew what was going on, so I think everyone was like, let's just hunker down, have a negotiation, try and win as much as we can. But there was a great thread on Twitter from Maury Brown, who writes for Forbes and Baseball Prospectus, and he kind of outlined how badly missing games, specifically this year, would generally hurt the owners. Right now, Major League Baseball itself is working on a massive streaming deal with Apple to make uh, local baseball broadcasts more accessible to everybody in the world, especially in terms of how painful MLB TV can be sometimes. They have more gaming partners now than they've ever had before. The interest in gambling is growing rapidly across the country. More states than ever before have legalized it. And something that we've talked about too is that baseball is such a perfect sport for gambling. It's literally made for gambling. So like the fact that it's becoming more illegal everywhere, the fact that there's more money coming into it, baseball would be foolish to not take advantage of it. Absolutely. Especially when your biggest media market with two teams just legalized it less than two weeks ago, as we know about gambling in New York now. And this year, there's an increased rate for national broadcast coming back to the owners this year. It's jumping up a number from the previous years from a deal that was signed. Also, the owners do have to pay back a substantial sum of money to a lot of the regional sports networks and national media for the rights that were prorated in 2020. And that's not something that's like very serious because that's a payment plan over years and years and years. But it is something that these owners are incorporating into their bottom line, which will affect a lot of these, again, poorer owners like Dick Manfort, Monfort saying that it's difficult to own a baseball team sometimes. I don't make as many billions as I used to make. Wah. <laughs> So I do think that right now the owners are making their power play. Like, they're sending their chips right now. Like, they are putting their forces on high right now. They're a two-flank attack. They're using the media, and they're using just their own pull and strength they can because they know all these things are true, and they know that this is their moment right now to make sure that they can save the Golden Goose. But baseball in the past has shown that they're willing to bite their nose off to spite their face, and I think that they're okay with doing that again with the media, their media they control on their side. No, it's, it's unfortunate the narrative is going to be because the players should be holding out. They should be wanting to get all the stuff that they're asking for, or there should at least be some sort of middle ground. Again, this is collective bargaining. Players can't get what they want 100%. Owners can't get what they want 100%. There needs to be a middle ground. But the way that it's been portrayed by everybody 
It really does seem like even even with the owners saying we're willing to miss games, I still feel like probably the majority of people are going to see the players as the problem, which is just so undoubtedly wrong. Definitely, and it's just again, it's just brilliant that they're able to paint the players' union as the villains. Yep, and uh, it's, it's unfortunate because I think it's probably we are moving forward, which is nice, yes. and we're actually getting negotiations, which is something we didn't have for weeks upon weeks, but. It's just, it, it really does seem like the players are unfortunately going to get screwed right now with the way the things are going. I mean, screwed is also relative because no one's really getting screwed here at the end of the day, but the players aren't going to really be getting much of a concession from the owners. It's going to be a lot of concessions on their part, which sucks because th- I don't watch baseball because Steve Cohen wa- owns the Mets or Bob Castellani owns the Reds. Like I watch baseball because Max Scherzer, Jacob DeGrom, Francisco Lindor, Mike Trout. Those are the guys I want getting the money. I don't care how much money Bob Castellani makes on a given year for the Cincinnati Reds. Definitely. I want to make sure that all the players who are making that minimum salary, who get shuttled up and down between the major leagues and minor leagues all year, like a guy like Travis Blankenhorn, who kept his car in Oklahoma City for months on end. <laughs> I want to make sure everybody gets their, gets their fair share. And I also want to make sure that these systems that seem to be broken, like arbitration, the Super 2, get fixed because these are going to affect the long-term success of this game and the way that young kids want to be a part of it, you know? And that's something that the owners cut out now, right? They were going to officially, like, kind of fix arbitration in the Super 2, but now they said, eh, never mind, not interested. Well, that was that negotiation that we mentioned at the beginning where the uh, players wanted that pool of money for guys who were in their first two years of making the minimum who performed at a high enough level to have a $105 million bonus pool to be given out, and the owners said 10 and that was something that they were negotiating in lieu of Super 2 rights, which is kind of a weird, funny number that they make somehow out of thin air. And then the MLB said, you know, if you guys don't want that, it's okay. We'll just keep arbitration exactly the way it is. And I was like, I, you guys also hate arbitration. Like, you're just doing this out of spite. And they're like, yeah, we are. We're doing it out of spite. Fucking Rob Manfred, man. God. He's doing a good job, though. Uh, well, he's doing a good job in terms of the owners. He's doing what he was hired to do. Not like a terrible job, in terms, job in terms of baseball, yes. Yeah, he might be willing to kill the game, which would be really really sad. Really, really stupid. And uh, I guess that's a perfect way for us to jump right into our interview with Nick Pollock, right? Because there's really no more update here on the uh, labor negotiations. So. No, yeah, we just got as negative as possible, so now we're going to get positive. Because Nick is fun. Nick is, I'd say, bubbly. And we break down a lot of pitching, a lot of the Mets free agent uh, targets, especially on the pitching side, how the Mets current starting rotation does stack up, we have some takes on Max Scherzer, and then we talk a lot about pitcher list and PitchCon, which is starting this Wednesday that Mark and I are actually speaking in, which is pitcher list's yearly baseball conference. So yep. I think you guys will enjoy it. Super excited. Uh, here's that interview. All right, guys, so now we have another guest back-to-back weeks. Look at us on the Messed Up Podcast. We're bringing you guests during the offseason because, I mean, honestly, there's not much baseball to talk about. And we have a guy here in Nick Pollock who knows a lot about baseball, specifically on the pitching side, pitcher list. You might have heard of it. You might have heard of him on Twitter. Make sure you guys go show him love and support. Nick, thanks for coming on. How you doing, man? What is happening? Thank you so much for having me on here. Uh, I mean, this is almost as touching as when you brought me on to the 5,000-person space you guys were doing for Max Scherzer, so thanks for having me. Yeah, that was that was chaotic. I remember you sent me a Discord and a DM. You were like, get let's get in, in here. <laughs> get me in. Well, you know, I wanted to talk about Scherzer. You weren't talking about like the injury part of where he's going to be always oh. good through the contract. Oh, great. I think that's a good good part about it. Is, is that where we're going to start then? That was Should nice we just start you. talking about Scherzer then? Because like we said, you're the pitching guy, and there are a lot of things with this Mets rotation, bullpen, everything to talk about pitching-wise. I guess let's start off with the biggest guy that we just got, Max Scherzer. I mean, you maybe aren't as hyped as some of the other Mets fans around the world right now, but, you know, you come in with a good reason. 
I will say, too, it's really nice to have Nick on because while we try to be as unbiased as possible about the Mets, <laughs> Mark and I are both psychotic, diehard Mets fans. The whole reason right. you guys listen is the whole reason we even have this show. So, Nick, give us an objective take on Max Scherzer for a Well, change. I need to clarify things. I grew up in Brooklyn. I just wanted to be happy in life, so I was a Yankee fan. I'm so sorry oh. saying that in the Mets Up podcast. My God, what am I doing? Um, as you know, we treat you like the little brother. We want you to be successful. <laughs> Um, all that aside, I know I'm kidding completely. I, I actually stopped really being a Yankee fan when I started doing this stuff. I root for the pitcher on the hill. I've rooted for Chris Sale against the Yankees because I just want the guy on the bump doing well. And I truly want you guys to do well, too. Um, I mean, it's you know, when New York does great, everything is great. So Scherzer, I remember being excited for you. Not to mention that like Scherzer is just in our city now. This is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, Scherzer's slider is incredible. I think that's kind of forgotten a lot about what actually is it about Scherzer. It's, no, it's guts. It's he's a workhorse. No, his slider is is one of the better ones in the league. It has been for ages. Gets a ton of strikes. Uh, swing strike rates twenty four percent last year, which is way above average. That's among the best out there. Uh, fastball is the only area of concern. Um, every year, it's gotten a little bit worse um, and more hittable inside of the zone. If you remember in twenty twenty, uh, he actually had like a three five three seven ERA. Uh, because of the home runs he allowed on fastballs, it made us a little bit concerned going to 2021. As we all know, he had a fantastic sub-2-5 ERA last year, so sure it should be fine. But uh, I think long-term for you guys, like what I talked about in that space was um, if he's hurt, there's an insurance policy with the Mets. So, like, don't worry too much about the money of this. But uh, he's not going to pitch and be bad at any point. If he's bad, Scherzer just stops playing. Yeah. You know, He has so much pride in this that... He's going to go out there and do his best all the way through, and you should be thrilled about this. A lot of big albatross contracts that you see, Albert Pujols, like Josh Hamilton, you come to mind these, you know, Jacoby Ellsbury, all this stuff. But all of them kept going through it. Scherzer won't do that. So I'd be so stoked if I were you, you know, as a quote unquote Yankee fan. I'm jealous you have him and we don't. I'm, I'm so thrilled for you guys. I hope he succeeds. Yeah, how, do, how does it feel to see the Mets going out and making a splash that, like, you know, feels very Yankee-like? Like, that's got to yeah. be—I know you said, like, you're more of a pitcher fan now, but, like, that's got to be a weird, like, you know, change in reality of what's really happened. Well, um, first of all, thank you for acknowledging it, you know? Uh, <laughs> Saying too it. Too many people forget that. Uh, no, I mean— Again, my fandom is much more diminished than it used to be. But, yeah, there is a sense that it used to be the Yankees being the only team that would go off and do this. 2009, we, quote, unquote, bought that championship, right? Because we got CeCe and Burnett and to share in that offseason. And, yeah, we haven't really done that, you know? We, we've been smart. Like, we didn't go off and pay Patrick Corbin, for example. Yeah. But I, it's still very weird to see these giant names that clearly will help. The Yankees not, you know, be on our team. I think actually Scherzer, though, did say he didn't want to be a Yankee. I think I think the Yankees just kind of spurned Boris a few times mm. recently since the ownership has not changed, but oh, since it's been passed down. And I think that he knew that he needed not a new ally, but a, a more powerful one. Well, this is great then. If you're saying that it's a Boris problem, then the Yankees won't get Correa, which would be wonderful. And huh, I, be think, great. I think all of the, like, the universe will be back to normal if Correa is not a Yankee. You know, it just seems so wrong on so many levels. It's like it's all just a, a a play put on, a facade, like all the drama if Correa becomes a Yankee. That just, that should not be allowed. To me, it makes perfect sense because the Yankees I grew up with 
relished being the villains. And what's more mm. villain-like than bringing in your own arch nemesis who is so good and so talented to work now next to you and on He's your side? Not that amazing. He gets hurt all of the time and finally has his one healthy season the year before his contract. Hmm. I want it's like this isn't what we want. Don't do that. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I like the fact of Yankees being the villain and stuff. I mean, I don't like it to the fact of like having Ronald Chapman as your closer, who is actually a real life villain. Actual villain. <laughs> but you know, the 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 persona of like, yes, we need a team to hate that is all inside of the drama and soap opera of the majors for non actual nefarious reasons. Hi Astros, sorry. Like that's a good thing. I would embrace that. But yeah, so yeah, we got to spend some more now. What the heck are we doing? Let's go. Let's, let's be the Mets, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's a crazy sentence to That's say. That's the sound bite. It's going to be in the quote board for this interview. <laughs> let's be the Mets. <laughs> yes, absolutely. No, I mean, so I mean, you guys must be stoked about Scherzer. Oh, over the moon stoked. We right? were so, we, yeah, we were so excited. After that spaces, we went out just like we went out together with our other buddy, Ernie, who we've mentioned this podcast a few times, got drunk in Astoria and did an entire drunk episode afterwards. Oh, that turned so out to be great. our most listened to episode of this podcast, <laughs> but basically by far at this we point. We were hammered, like debatably right. like on that verge of like, you know, drinking a little bit too much. And it was, I'm still buzzing to this day. Like it's just, that's one of the biggest moves I can remember in Mets history to right, bring right. him. And then on top of Jacob deGrom, who, I mean, He's unbelievable, too. No, I know. Okay, so you guys, if I were you, I would just be thinking, how can we plan this out so that you make the playoffs and DeGrom and Scherzer are healthy? Like, I feel like you can't have both. And that's kind of the reason we've brought you on here today, because this Mets rotation, besides for Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer, has a lot of either holes or just legitimate question marks. Sure. And we want to see if you can see a path forged ahead by the rotation as it currently stands to get the Mets to say that magic number of 90-ish wins to get that postseason appearance. Well, I, I see something. I see something, and we, and we can certainly talk about this. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you right now that I think collectively, I mean, obviously I talk sometimes or a lot of the time in the fantasy baseball world, and you can kind of see, you can get a, like a grasp of how people think of players in general just from how the fantasy baseball world reacts. And the fact that I don't think I've had to talk about Taiwan Walker once this offseason, I think says a lot. Yeah, I agree with that. He's even right now, I'm doing my first batch of um, uh, NFBC drafts. He's going off like in the two, three hundreds. He's the kind of guy who you're hoping gives you like a 4-2 ERA and 150 reliable innings. The thing is, though, that's what the Mets need. You know, it's a, he's a very important cog in in the machine for the Mets this year because, I mean, I'm looking at the free agent signings, right? And my first thought was, you need depth. You need guys you can rely on every five days or so. I see Tyler Anderson out there, mm-hmm. and I think that's actually not a bad signing. I was actually at the game, uh, the doubleheader game where he pitched against uh, Marcus Stroman. I got a really good look at him, uh, and yeah, he could have gone you know five, six innings that game. I think he went almost six. Like just that is fine. Like your old Steven Matz kind of thing. Uh, it would work. He is fine, but with Anderson, you always run that risk that he's just like kind of close to being unusable. You know, like if sure. one thing goes wrong for Tyler Anderson as he goes through like let's say a three year contract, he goes from being right. a guy who sits at like four two to four eight and suddenly he's just not someone you could pitch in games. I, I'm not disagreeing with that. Um it, with a guy like Anderson, I think you can make a pretty discounted deal with him and the third year is just kinda like does not matter. It's about this one year. Right now, you need to capitalize that you have Scherzer and DeGrom at their peaks and to make sure that you survive this season. You just got Stalling Marte 
amazing signing. I think actually my favorite signing of this offseason so far, just based on under $100 million for an elite outfielder in my book. That's a, that's just so incredibly good for you guys. Uh, you know, you have this like really nice moment. Atlanta might be losing Freddie Freeman. The Nationals are not threatening whatsoever. The Phillies still have a lot of their same problems where who is going to be their fifth starter? I actually even put it out to Twitter and no one knows. <laughs> no one knows who's the fifth starter for the Phillies. And, and then there's the Marlins who are still a year or two away considering their offense. So you have such a ripe opportunity and little things like a Tyler Anderson deal for a year or two can help bridge the gap because you don't want to overwork DeGrom. You know, Scherzer will be fine. Scherzer, I think, will be okay by the end. But you don't want to be in a situation where it's like, well, we need DeGrom because if we don't, then there's no one else to turn to. And someone like Tyler Anderson can really help. Yeah, I feel like we've brought up a guy like uh, Yusei Kikuchi. I know James is super high on him yeah. as like someone who would be like a perfect fit for this rotation. Um, I guess just from like your opinion, like what do you think about Yusei? Yeah, he, uh, he's good and bad. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say that about a lot of guys. Uh, <laughs> he, has, he has a good ceiling where if he's throwing 96 consistently, uh, Kikuchi did that a good amount last year. He can be really stellar with a, a cutter and a slider that can both miss bats. When those three pitches are working, it's gorgeous because batters can't tell the difference between the cutter and fastball, and the cutter actually moves a significant amount. Uh, the thing is, though, he sometimes goes down to 94, doesn't elevate effectively, loses command of it, and the slider and cutter on their own are not good enough. So it, it's, you know, Kikuchi's kind of looked at as a guy that if he goes to a program that can really help with pitching development, there might be something to untap. It's kind of why I think I've heard the Yankees, but even though the Yankees are kind of weird, do they actually do well with the pitchers i don't i don't know we like to think so but i don't know uh the mets i don't know where i'd side with that i mean dan Morton was the best thing that ever happened to you guys jeremy hefner yeah no no yeah. slander of our boy hef <laughs> I'm, I'm 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 just i'm no, nothing against it but i'm just talking about like you know things that we've we've just internalized in our head of what they have done directly Worth and Slider was just a game changer. The Worth and Slider was also a Tommy John mechanism. So, well, <laughs> maybe yes or maybe no. You know, like how is that the reason why? I don't actually. I I would maybe even make an argument that it's a lack of pronation on that, which is a good thing, because you're supposed to just stay straight and go straight down on the on the uh, the Worth and Slider, and less of the actual twisting. Like I like I talked to Lance McCullers and he he says his slider is like throwing a uh, he calls it a pizza, like how he delivers it. <laughs> Where he's like, you know, he leads with his pinky across his body. That is not good for your elbow. That sounds but terrible. Yeah, but it's really good for throwing sliders. Um, the Worth and slider being completely different, staying completely on top and going down through and not having as much spin but relying on the gyro of it to go down. And that was super effective and came out harder too. But anyway, uh, what I'm getting at is I don't know if Kikuchi to the Mets is exactly the fit for him. But I think he would be beneficial. Like, I'm seeing this list now of, of free agent starters, and boy, is it very thin right now. Mm-hmm. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, Josh Tomlin's not the answer. Um, no. Neither is Jacob Junis. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> There's, there is one guy that's the answer. Where did you start? With the Jays only? No, no, I just went down. I just I went down. I mean, who – okay, they're, they're obviously the big names of Carlos Rodon and Clayton Kershaw. Do you guys actually believe the Mets are going to get one of those? I think the Mets are going to be involved with Rodon. I think probably mm. pretty heavily. We know yeah. from someone that they were involved with him last year when he was non-tender, but he decided to stick with the White Sox, basically with equal contracts. And while Rodon doesn't really give you that stable floor of innings that well, you right. think you're going to get from an Anderson or a Kikuchi, 
you could probably sign a Rodon and an Anderson. You might as well shoot for the moon with upside for one and then get the oatmeal with your other. You know, it's like kind of yeah. like when you're getting breakfast at the diner and you get oatmeal for yourself and then you get pancakes <laughs> for the table. Especially because oh, like, those, those first 100 innings that he threw last year were just like he was oh one God. of the best pitchers in baseball. So it feels like, oh. like James said, if we're going to take that risk, let, let's go for the big shot here. We're not taking a yeah. risk on like an older Clayton Kershaw. Yeah, you that know, makes is sense. Going to be healthy. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, I, I remember, you know, one of the joys of what I do is watching these young guys do something new and be amazing. And if you don't realize, Carlos Rodon averaged at his peak ninety three and a half on his fastball velocity before last year. There were games he sat ninety seven, averaged three and a half ticks higher than his previous. It's unbelievable what he did. But yeah, he's gonna. I imagine he would burn out. That's the problem there. And you're if you want to actually make a World Series team, it can't include – like, Rodon will help you maybe get there, but it, I, don't, I don't know if I could depend on him in, in October. I think with Rodon, you almost have to tell yourself, similar to DeGrom this season, that you're getting 120-ish innings, 120 to 140, and we're going to see where they fall, especially based on how the team is. Because, again, you said right. last year he died. Like, I have a – Stat here well, used for Rodon a few times, but he, he survived. He's around. Okay? Well, listen, twelve point seven percent of his fastballs were ninety eight miles an hour or higher from April to July when he was incredible, and it was less than two percent from August through the end of the season. And when he had that fastball going in at ninety eight or above, because he cracked ninety nine a few it was here and so there, nice. and it became like a whiffable pitch to go along with the slider. Like when you have that fastball as a lefty working up in the zone and getting swings and misses, mm. like you're almost unhittable. I think a lot of these guys would benefit from City Field, Rodon, Kikuchi, and Anderson, oh. the three we mentioned, because they're all fly ball pitchers. Yeah. And they're all coming from environments that were less advantageous to fly ball pitchers than City Field, which is massive and suppresses exit velocity still for reasons no one, the smartest minds in baseball, cannot figure <laughs> out. So I think we have that kind of built in that we can get these pitchers who may not look as good to other teams and they'll be better for us. Oh, man. I, I love that you've mentioned like, uh, lefties to throw up an end to righties. Mm. Uh, oh, that's James Paxson at his peak. And that's, oh. this is, this is the, the, the thing of my life. Is I just get giddy about pitchers doing good things. And oh, <laughs> Rodon did that a lot last year. Um, honestly, I think the best path for you guys. The number one target should be Luis Castillo. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes the most sense to me. He's an innings guy. Yeah, he's not going to uh, – I think he's going to keep doing what he's doing. Sure, he had some problems last year. Um, has to do with the cold more so. And just get him out of Ohio, man. I. It's you know He's going to be a little rocky. There are times when everyone's going to be upset. Like, I don't know, Castillo can't strike anybody yet. His fastball's too hittable, all that stuff. But he is going to survive the full year. He's going to be very helpful. Um, that would be the thing I'm dreaming of the most, if I were for you. Because, yeah, Rodon Kershaw, the reason that they didn't sign so early is because they want to wait. People want to wait and see how they're feeling. And then there isn't a major impact play after, which is why I was suggesting like Tyler Anderson. Um, Pineda could even help. You know? I, have, I have Pineda on my list. Pineda is just one adjustment away. Because he actually, last year, had the lowest vertical um, approach angle of any pitcher in baseball on his fastball. Okay. And I think that a Mets team that huh. has, with Hefner, leaned into the high four-seam fastballs could find a way to get Pineda back to not like, I'm not expecting anything more than, you know, a 4-2 over 150 right. innings, but just to get to that with stability for a guy who still has, I believe his plus, plus pitch is what, slider? Oh, slider. No, if Pineda has a slider working, it's like, it yeah. doesn't matter what else happens. He could lob in his fastballs. Yeah, for the, almost 40% happen. whiffs last year. So that's someone, again, I just, it's nice that the Mets have an, a pitching environment that you could think possibly get more out of right. guys rather than well, less. You want to know the craziest thing? I think one of the biggest deal breakers for the Mets this year, the biggest influence of your season 
is if Carlos Carrasco can get a slider and change it back. Yeah. I, the, the crazy thing that I normally see about uh, older pitchers, and as they start degrading, we start thinking, oh, they're not going to be what they used to be. I mean, you guys probably know it's velocity. Velocity is the first thing that it goes, and that's really the biggest indicator of, of you know a failure in the future. Carrasco barely lost a little bit on his fastball when he returned last year. And keep in mind, he didn't have a normal uh, offseason and everything. He just kind of got thrown into it again. Now you have a proper offseason. You have the velocity still there, hopefully. I mean, you imagine it is. And we had moments of both the slider and his changeup working last year. I I think there's still something in the tank here for Carrasco and that potential of being that, you know, sub four ERA, 120 whip with like a 25% strike rate is still there for Carrasco. I hope you get the longevity, uh, but there's still something there and it can really turn the tide for the Mets. I'm thrilled you said that because I've been beating that drum for the last few months. Carrasco mm. last year was just, he was legless for months because he busted the hamstring and he right. tried to come back very quickly from that. And then we found out at the end of the season, he even had a bone chip in his elbow he was pitching. Is that right? Yes. I, he, he, I didn't even know that. And he still had the velocity. That's exactly, what's going to yeah. affect like, the slider more. Oh, that's yeah. such good news. Sorry for the bone chip, though. But yeah. Of course, yeah. <laughs> it's a heelable injury. It's such great good news. news. <laughs> easy, easy, easy surgery. But he also, he was doing a lot of tinkering last year. He had five different pitches as his lead pitch in the arsenal in the given game last year. Between oh, wow. his four-seamer, his sinker, his curveball, his changeup, and his slider. He had right? won each of those games where that pitch was his most thrown pitch. So I just think that he – you got to just chalk it up for a lost season to Carrasco after another lost season for Carrasco. We're on two years of lost seasons, and I do think yeah. that there is still something valuable he can give this team. Absolutely. The funniest thing is that you said cur- curveball in there. All I can think of is, oh, that must have been a bad night if his curveball is <laughs> his most thrown pitch. Well, he like he, he was doing some weird stuff too where like especially because we all remember we talked about every single time he pitched was giving up a home run in the first inning or giving up some sort of yeah. runs in the first inning. And he was also refusing to throw anything but fastballs in the first inning for a lot of those starts too, which yeah. was like he was really trying to figure out what kind of pitcher at least maybe he wants to be in the future. And I expect, like you said, with a normal offseason, that like hopefully he at least has a better clue, a better feeling, better health-wise, that he can come back. Because like, he was really, really good at times. I know he's older now, but like he should be very valuable to this rotation if all things do go right. Absolutely. I, you know, I remember actually being at one of those games where I was saying, oh, Carrasco, throw your change it more. Your slider has been bad. And we saw you at that slider. game. Yeah, slider in the first inning. Yes. Right. And it was just like, oh, no. This is first inning three run shot or whatever. Yeah, off it, was, um, it was like it must have been a slider to Chris Bryant. No, Jonathan India. Uh, oh no, that was a different game. Uh, oh, I, really? Chris Bryant hit this one. I'm pretty sure hmm. slider in the first inning. I was like, don't throw a slider to throw a righty righty change. Nope, never mind. Not gonna <laughs> happen. Uh, maybe Jonathan. Did I see you, Jonathan India game? I remember seeing you at one of the Friday night games because I think I think we we're also both with our dads. But maybe no, I'm yeah, thinking of a different I, game. I think yeah. the Marlins were playing because Ernie was there. Yes, yeah, it was a Marlin. Yeah. I, I went to a Marlin yeah. game. You guys were there in like uh, the end of September. Yeah, okay, yeah, that was it. Yeah, that was yeah it was a great time. Great. Time. Also crazy that we just have multiple games where we've just seen each other at Mets games. Well, like, oh, yeah, yeah, and also too. of course Michigan OSU, which was yeah. the funniest thing ever. That, oh, that a, cracked a bathroom. me up, man. <laughs> I couldn't even like think straight. I was like Nick, <laughs> of all the of all the faces of all of all the tall men in the world. I mean, so yeah, if you don't know, obviously, you know, James, giant OSU fan. I, my sister went to Michigan, and my cousin is, is getting his uh, PhD at OSU right now. Nice. Um, and he, uh, he, so I was like, fine, I'll go to the game for you because you're in town. I'll be nice to you as the older cousin. And at the end, we finally won, and I'm like trying to hold it in inside this OSU bar. No one knows I'm a Michigan fan. 
No, you're wearing. And I'm waiting for the bathroom. I'm even like in my jacket. I was like, ah, you know what? Let me just go to the bathroom before I leave. And Shiano comes out of the stall. That's like right in front of me. I couldn't believe this. And you gave me a look. You're like, oh hey, oh hey. Yeah. You're not supposed to be here. It's like shut up. You're the only one who knows, man. And I even remember my original interview with Pitcher List. I think we like did like a, a nemesis bonding over that. Oh, yeah, like OSU, Michigan. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. OSU, Michigan. Uh, yeah, yeah, we really did a great job taking advantage of the one time we actually yeah. were involved in the college football playoff. We did whew, yeah. beautifully <laughs> against Georgia. Oh, man, what a sight. And I feel like like we talked about, you know, DeGrom, Scherzer, Carrasco, Walker. And then there's like this other like gluttony of pitchers that the Mets have that are just all kind of like fighting for this last hypothetical spot that exists in a five-man rotation where you've got, you know, McGill, you've got, Yamamoto, technically Peterson, oh. maybe even like I, I'm sure they're going to try like to see what Zapucky's got again too. Like I think there's a clear favorite there, but like what is your take on just like this whole next group of yeah. Mets pitchers? So okay, Ty Lore McGill. Um, I need to say it like that every time. I need to emphasize it. Um, he should be solid for you. I think his fastball is actually a, it's an above average fastball to me, and that's a pitch that constantly is there. For Tyler, when he went on that nice run to start the year, the changeup was mm, changeup was glorious, and then it fell apart. It wasn't there consistently down the end. Uh, the slider just needs to be a called strike pitch. It just needs to get in the zone enough. It was a sub forty percent rate last year. Typically, when you have a third pitch that isn't going to miss a lot of bats, it should be above forty percent zone rate or so. Essentially, that should just be a mix up. And uh, I don't know if that can really be this. It was a sub 60% overall strike rate. You want to see like 63, 65, you know, that's when you feel really good about them. Sub 60% is when you start, you know, tugging, go, uh oh, that's not what you want to see. So I hope to see some consistency with McGill with that changeup and maybe that slider gets better, but just because of the fastball, he'll be competitive for you guys. Uh, and that's good. He's going to hold on to that. I'd be really surprised if the Mets move past Tyler, especially considering, as you've already talked about, the question marks of DeGrom's health and Scherzer's health and Walker's health and Carrasco's health. So you're going to have these, you know, if Tyler can stay healthy, he will just pitch the entire season. Um, the other names that you mentioned, uh, I have to just mention, I mean, there's Trevor Williams. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, he's a name. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, He's either TLs or T dubs, uh, depending on the day. <laughs> uh, that, took, that took me a second. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. But I, uh, you know, back in the day, I actually I wrote for for Fangraphs the whole thing about like the mystery of Trevor Williams, which I think is actually the most cliche title. And it's the last time I ever said the curious case of, and I realized that you should never title an article <laughs> the curious case of. But it was it was super weird. Like, how is Trevor Williams doing this well? It was the end of 2017 and. Uh, beginning of 2018, or maybe it's actually 1819. But if you guys remember how good he was for a moment, it, it doesn't make any sense. It still doesn't. Fastballs somehow don't get crushed as much as they should. Secondary pitches, sometimes he can keep those down effectively like the slider, but he's not someone you want to depend on, especially as he gets, I think, worse with age right now. He's not getting better. Sean Reed Foley is so interesting. He's and like I can't, I just can't believe you guys have him because i remember being so hyped about him when he had like a 10 strikeout game against the yankees for the blue jays back in like 2017 but he's probably not going to be the answer david peterson's my favorite one i think we kind of forget that david peterson was really good for a moment in 2020 then he got hurt and he hasn't really figured it out since but there's opportunity there he's still young 
That's the one I'm crossing my fingers for. Uh, Lucchese, I mean, you're not going to see him. So he's he got Tommy John in like the end of June, I think. Yeah. So, so much for that. We still sell our Lucchese for Gazy shirts. There you go. Uh, but which actually even applies more, I think, in New York now than San Diego. We got to change the colors on that. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's not looking good. This is why you need like you need a Tyler Anderson. You need a Kikuchi. Mm-hmm. You need Zach Greinke. Go get him. Yeah, but Granky's had that issue with wanting to pitch in New York. Again, that was the Yankees, and it was also mm. like over a decade ago. Wait, there's no pressure with the Mets. None. <laughs> no, no, <zero>. no. <laughs> Fans are very calm, cool, collected. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, no, I, I mean, your listeners are great. You know, if you're listening, if they, they know to listen to you guys, they're clearly smart. Oh, absolutely, you know? yeah. Any sort of stereotype you have a Met fan is not your listener. So definitely not. And they know that Jordan Yamamoto is a non-entity on this team. Oh next my year. god, that <laughs> yeah. was funny. You know, what the, the funniest part to me is that the only reason he's a Met is because it was like March twenty-third or whatever, and the Mets were like, you know what? Let's just get a ninth starter just in case. So then Yamamoto <laughs> actually has to pitch, and he gets hurt right away. Yeah, and it's. It's just the funniest thing to me. They were they were saying, you know what we're gonna do is just in case, and still that didn't even work. Oh man, I've had some harsh words for Jordan, Jordan Yamamoto on this show, and I will have Aww. more if he he's ever just comes trying back. his hardest, man. He's a kitchen oh, he's, sink dude. He's working, I know that, but I, I I don't see ever there being a pathway to him even having a four or five ERA over hundred inning stretch. But did no. you know his uh, middle name is Owen, so his name is Joy? Okay, well oh, you know what? Okay. I made that up, but you know it sounds like it should be right. <laughs> Yeah, I, th- I think the, the the less that we oh wait that's not his middle name no, no he's not. lying oh my god <laughs> I was about to say is, is that a canned joke or did you just come up with that? I just come up of course I came up with it. come on James you know me by now this is just never ending that was that was that was quick for sure that was ridiculous I don't even know what to say I had nothing I was gonna say something about David Peterson but I don't even care enough anymore <laughs> <laughs> yeah David Peterson's fine I feel like always with him the big like connection that Mets fans make with David Peterson is that he feels like Matt's but with worse stuff because he has the horrible body language he's another lefty pitcher that was like a f- hyped up guy that was supposed to be kind of like well, not the answer but one of the yeah, Mets fans hyped him up he was a first round pick I mean still at the end of the day Mets fans see a first round mm-hmm. pick and they think he's gonna slot into the rotation at least as like a middle of the rotation guy and he's just kind of been like underwhelming especially like you said after that really exciting 2020 where you're like oh here he is maybe we got something like right I, I know James has talked about a lot more on this podcast, but like, is there something that maybe he needs to do more of? He should do less of like what seems to be the big problem with him almost. I, uh, so there are certain times when things come alive for, uh, for, for Peterson, like when the slider gets really good at times, mm-hmm. it, it's great, but it, it's just consistency. We really haven't seen him get into a groove with all of his pitches. I, uh, you know, there was that again, in 2020, there's a little bit of a stretch where that was working. Um, I think there was actually one start where he was doing the Blake Snell blueprint, actually like elevating four seamers well. That race start um, they pitched in Tropicana this okay. May. Yeah. yeah, but then it just goes away, and it's like, oh well, never mind. That that's that, you know. And it's I I will say something really quickly. You mentioned Stephen Matz, and I just want everybody to understand. I. Sorry, I, I just saw Jeff Passant tweet. I just got the same over. thing too. Yeah, and I saw is over. I'm like, what is over? Oh, the meeting. The meeting is over. I uh, okay. Anyway, the meeting again tomorrow. That's big. Well, all right. That's that is big. That's great. Okay. Anyway, with Matt, I just want everybody listening to understand. Matt is going to do really well in St. Louis, not because he's not a Met or not a Blue Jay. 
It's because the Cardinals infield defense and overall defense is gold glove worthy. Elite. And in that ballpark. Yeah, it's the yeah, best. Yeah. It's the best defense. It's why Adam Wainwright, I think, did so well last year. It's why Jack Flaherty's gonna do really well. Dakota Hudson's gonna do really well. Mike Michaelis is gonna do better than he should. Matt Young is Kim. going to be good for them, and you're gonna hear talk radio. You know, go off about Steven Matz. Like, oh, what would we be done? You know, like all this stuff. He should have been hours with a 3-5 ERA. And like, it doesn't work like that. That's not how it works. So just don't think about Matz. Mark, I finally remember their bet that we were talking about the other day that we made a couple months ago. It was what about was Giovanni it? Gallegos versus Paul Sewold. Paul Sewold. Who was, yeah. Paul Sewold. Who was going to have the higher strikeout rate this year? Yes, oh, wow. Is. All right, nice. Yeah. Uh, okay, it's going to be Sewold. Yes, I'm on that's, the that's my guy. <laughs> I didn't even know who the second guy was. I forgot. I was like, yeah, it's going to be Seawald. 100%. I'm, ugh, Paul Seawald, the only guy the way. I would why know. They're relievers. <laughs> I mean, why would you discredit everything you've given us over the last half well, hour? Well, they're relievers. They're relievers. Yeah. Starters. I can help with that. I can do that. No, no. Seawald's filthy. Uh, super high CSW rates, if you don't know that, called strikes plus whiffs. Amazing correlation to strikeout rate and just overall performance. Yeah, Seawald is really deceptive and just flat out filthy. That slider is crazy good. Gallegos is great, but I, I think Seawald is just just a little bit better. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> and now, Nick, I guess before we go off here, because this has been a lot of fun. I mean, we can just talk about oh, this pitching has been for, amazing. Yeah, for hours. we're already done. It's, this is okay. Yeah, right, we can keep going. I don't know. <laughs> I got I, this is a wonderful break uh, between PitchCon and PL7, all that kind of stuff. This is wonderful. Well, it's a great moment. Maybe you should plug PitchCon, tell our listeners what it is. Oh, right. And PL7. We didn't do that. I was just so excited no, yeah. to talk. <laughs> I also saw you. You gave me a. You gave me an insult in the in our rundown that I sent I to you. <laughs> I, I I did. No, no. Well, you you said technically like, he's my boss. Nick? I can I can go right to the Better Business Bureau right now. <laughs> you said who is Nick and what does he do? And like, all right. Well, I'm gonna do uh, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger here in Kindergarten Cop. Obviously, I'm say who is your daddy and what does he wow. do? I don't I don't know that one. You don't even what, James? You don't know who is your daddy and what does he do? Certainly not. No, that was. Oh my that god! Was, was so organic. I understand the insult now. I, I yeah. <laughs> absolutely not. And go watch Kindergarten Cop. It's the funniest thing ever. They just thought, what is the most ridiculous thing we can make Arnold Schwarzenegger do? Oh yeah, be a preschool teacher. Like <laughs> that's what the movie is. Um, but anyway, I so so PitchCon is something we run uh, every year. So the third straight year we're doing it. Uh, it's Who's be, we? Uh, we is Pitcher List. And you guys are going to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and right, I forget. Yeah, hi, Pitcherless. Go there. It's an amazing site. We're changing it also in two weeks to do incredible things that I can't say, but we're revealing what it is on Sunday night. And oh my God, it's incredible. Anyway, PitchCon, you should go to pitcherless.com slash PitchCon. You're going to watch 44 hours live streamed there, 11 to 10, uh, Wednesday through Sunday. Uh, it's going to be panels from everybody across baseball. Mark is there. James is there. We're going to have Pitching Ninja there. We're going to have Enosaurus there. We're going to have DVR. We're going to have just everyone is there. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, we're raising money for Feeding America. Half of everything we raise, not just proceeds, just everything we raise is going to Feeding America. We have a goal every year of $10,000 raised. We have prizes that you can win for free. You don't even need to contribute to get them. Uh, we have a signed Tyler Glasnow baseball courtesy of Mark over here. Uh, and many other prizes, including subscriptions and the coveted Lifetime PL Plus uh, subscription, uh, which we'll give out during PitchCon as well. So tune in. Absolutely free. Uh, PitchLess.com slash PitchCon starts 11 a.m. Wednesday, January 26th. Be there. Amazing. Yeah, we'll be there. 
We'll definitely oh, do yeah. that. My, my panel, I'm talking about fantasy baseball, doing player debates on Thursday. And Mark, you're on Saturday, right? Yeah, I'm on Saturday doing it with Pitching Ninja. And what you say, David Mendelson was his name, right? Yes. You know his name. You got it, right? You don't be more confident. You got this. I, re- I remembered. I, I want to make sure it wasn't like a, a Robert <laughs> Mendelson or something like that. I knew the last name. But yeah, we're going to be talking about content creation, which obviously it's what I do every day. So if you guys are interested in that, definitely check out. Uh, PitchCon. I, I'm I'm super excited. It should be a lot of fun. Yeah, me too. If you miss it, it's going to be on YouTube as well at our uh, youtube.com slash pitcher list. You actually can see the previous years, which are still great uh, from 2020 and 2021, just to get a sense of it. You also see me with a lot less hair because I just shaved my hair <laughs> in quarantine and it's terrible. Like I actually just shaved my hair. Oh, never again. <laughs> never again. Nick, that was a great plug. And before we let you go, I love fantasy baseball. You love fantasy baseball. Mm. Mark doesn't love fantasy baseball quite as much. And this will be a little bit of an intro to PitchCon, kind of, but a little bit, but not really. Give me one Mets sleeper, value, breakout, or bust for this coming fantasy baseball season. You don't have to give me one of each. Just give me one or two total. Oh, man. Okay. To, to appease Met fans, I'm going to tell you that Jeff McNeil is better than he than he was. Okay. Uh, that's I'm, I'm going to tell you right now that do not undervalue Jeff McNeil. Uh, I think he is someone as, for your fantasy teams that will get playing time for you guys and is just much better than what we saw in 2021. But, yeah, Carlos Carrasco, absolutely. I, I think there's a lot of hope still in the changeup in the slider, and especially considering in fantasy realm, He's going after the 23rd round. So in your standard 12 team where he's not even getting drafted, he's exactly the guy that you can see after the first start if it's actually working or not. If the velocity is still there and he has this change of insider, things are going to be great for Carlos Carrasco. And there you go. You have a serviceable starter for your 12 team or for the cost of free. So definitely keep an eye on him. We'll even know that by the time spring training rolls around, by the time we see him through even one competitive inning, you'll be able to get a good sense of what Carlos Carrasco will <laughs> we'll, be this year. We'll see. We won't quite know about the slider or the, the changeup. But as long as, yeah, as long as he's still sitting 93 and a half or 94, then like there's a good chance uh, that he can come out swinging. Uh, or at least making them swing and miss. Yeah. I don't know. That's I a don't bad know if phrase. he's swinging. Yeah. I, hope, <laughs> I hope he doesn't swing anymore. You yeah, look please, bad at the plate last no year. Yeah, no, uh, no more. Right? Just please, DH. We're, both, we're all on the same page about this. I kind of like to put your head in that. No. Well, I like, the, I like okay. the different rules a little bit. Can I ask you guys a question before I go? I love asking this to everybody. Okay. Yes. Um, what is your most controversial baseball opinion, Ooh, Mark? Yeah. I like the extra inning rule last year. I think it's electric. I think that I like it too. It gives me the opportunity, like especially when it's like ten o'clock at night. Mets game wraps up. If I see the uh, Detroit Tigers and Kansas City Royals are in extra innings, Dude, I'm turning worst. it on because I know something's going to happen. Like and especially now with sports betting in New York, oh my god, that extra inning rule is electric city. Like that is right, must right. watch TV. Right. Yeah. Like it's the worst one. It's like twelfth, the twelfth inning, and like games are still going on. There's no extra inning rule, and I'm just I have to write my article. I got to finish this. I got to say, you know. I got to complete it and I can't because they just won't end. And no one is happy now just for the, the sake of baseball that it needs to keep going. It's just, no man, it's so electric. Exactly. What you said, Mark, I'm on board. I like that too. I didn't even think that was controversial. I can't think of a controversial take I have right now in terms. Well, of I'll help you. Oh, I think please. lefties can't, they have to step off to throw to first. Ooh. Okay. Sure. I hate it. I hate it so much that they got this stupid thing just because they're a lefty and not a righty. And it, it just, it, if you want to help the game with like stolen bases and stuff, you can always do first move. There's, you know, guys are going to steal more. Uh, but I just think there's this also uh, so many questions about is this a balker or not? And a lot of times they get away with them. Just don't do it. You got to step off. Just step off. Yeah. Lefties balk every time. I found my controversial baseball take. Go ahead. I would do away with interleague play. 
What? I have no desire to see the teams in separate leagues play, especially now, given the current landscape of baseball, that there are different rules in the different leagues. I like playing more games in your division, more games against teams that are geographically accessible. I want to bring baseball old school. What year were you born? 1936. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a second. Wait a second, James. My understanding of the Subway series for years... As a Yankee fan, I wouldn't get so excited about this, but all my friends that were Mets fans, this was your World Series. Well, you see, we're not in that world anymore, Nick. <laughs> Those days are behind <laughs> so now, us. Oh, tides care. will change, James. You're at the peak now, but in five years, you're going to be like, wait, I need the Subway Series back. <laughs> we need to prove they're better than the Yankees. <laughs> you don't want to have the Subway Series. I, th- I, th- I think maybe a couple series, like the Subway Series is useful, the A's and the Giants are useful, the Cubs and the White Sox are useful, but the vast majority of interleague play is just, to me, basically a waste of time. If there's no actual bread rivalry out of it, I mm. think that it just becomes kind of a situation where you're playing against teams. You're like, the way the Major League Baseball schedule is ridiculous, the way it is right now. I'm just My big thing oh, yeah. is that they should adjust the way they do it, because the way they schedule it, it seems like they have a very low-grade developer who's making the schedule and putting in the, uh, the format, because the Mets will play... Diamondbacks, the Orioles, Diamondbacks, the Orioles, and move on. The part of the schedule is over. And for so, I don't understand why that is the case. Like We should be playing against teams that are more pertinent to the end of the year standings. I want more games against the Phillies, more games against the Brit, Atlanta. You should, you should look into who does the MLB schedule. It's by hand, and I believe it's this old couple who's been doing it for like 60 years. Are you being facetious? I'm not. Oh, my God. Uh, is not a real? program? This is like, it's, it's like a, yeah, it's like a very famous thing. I and I don't know if it recently ended or not, but I, I remember this in my head of like just the people who make the MLB schedule. And That's crazy. Uh, it's really doing schedules. I just did the PitchCon one, which was organizing eighty plus people for four days, and my God, I messed it up. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine them doing 162 games for 30 teams. And I'm so sorry that they have to play the Diamondbacks twice in two weeks. But it's just the whole it just doesn't make any sense to me when I see the Mets schedule come out. It's really stupid. I don't like it. I want to see you play the teams that are more important to the where you end the season. Especially that, the fact, that makes sense. Unless we put all these teams in a one through sixteen bracket before the playoffs, why are we playing them so often during the regular season? This is your competition. Do you guys feel that every single team that finishes above five hundred should make the playoffs? No. No. Why not? Because you have the, the American League Central, which no team should make the playoffs outside the White Sox. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can give like buys, the so you win your division, you have a buy, for example, and they have a one-game playoff and stuff from there. I don't think 500 is like a barometer to being like you're good. You know what I mean? I think mm. 500 is like you're okay. It's hard. It is yeah, hard. I'm hard. not saying it's easy. but You're above not... average if you're above 500. You are, technically. But it's like, is that above average because you win more than half of your games? Or is the above average you won more than the median games won by a major league team that season, you know? Yeah, but is that, isn't that just every season? Like, how are you supposed to differentiate that? Yeah, that's fair. I, I feel like the way we've talked about, especially like with the labor stuff, with the expansion of playoffs, we've been like first two teams in each division. I think that's probably like the perfect way to do it. Because really at the end of the day, that probably covers what you said about the over 500 teams. Mm. And then that covers also like, you get the AL Central is going to get like the Tigers in there at 80, 80 and 82 or whatever they'll be. Wow, look at you giving the Tigers 82. I love the Tigers this year. I, I mean, I, I would love to see it. Probably means that Spencer Turnbull pitches meaningful innings, and that would be cool. Is he? He got Tommy John last June, correct? Yeah, something like that. So, like, probably like September, he can come back and maybe make some sort of impact. <laughs> that would be amazing. I would really love to see that. Pigeonhole uh, take. Yeah, but I, I'll say this, though. In 2020, I know we felt like it was a different thing, but. Eight teams in the playoffs 
the the teams that were supposed to be there at the end were still there mm-hmm. and that was so fun watching the marlins beat the cubs that would have <laughs> never happened we had a day of it where it was like the three straight days of f- at least four games of baseball. Wasn't it the greatest thing ever? Incredible. It was and here you're saying, baseball. like, let's not have more people in the playoffs. Oh, no, we're fine with a general amount of more people in the playoffs. You said every team over 500. Well, you know, that essentially is what baseball. that was, though. I mean, that's, that's less, half of yeah. the league, and that's 15 teams a league, so seven to eight teams. Yes, that's true. And the, 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 they're settling between, I think, 12 and 14 teams anyway with this negotiation. Right. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm all for 14, guys. I'm in for it. More baseball, more excitement. You know, just like, let's just go crazy. Look, we just saw the playoffs this weekend. That was the best thing ever with football. And I hate football. And that was amazing. <laughs> that was so great. It was amazing. But then that comes from the better teams still being in. Like, I, if the baseball does expand to the 14-team playoff, I would love to see strong benefits given to the better teams. Because that 2020 yeah, well, season, we saw, yeah, we saw teams like the Dodgers and the Yankees really take their feet off the gas pedal because they were very comfortably winning their division. Right. And they had nothing left to play for for even 15 games out of a 60-game season. If right. suddenly you get to a spot where you don't have anything to play for for 35 games out of a 162-game season, it'll make the fantasy baseball playoffs nearly impossible to navigate. Could you imagine the, the previews that we're going to have to be doing on Pitcher List when we don't know who's going to be pitching for the Dodgers oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, and the I White can. Sox? And I still cannot believe we put out the previews that we do. It's huge, huge hats off to the entire team, graphic side and writing side, getting those playoff previews out. Oh, my God. That's insane. Remember those schedule previews last year murdered my Sunday night. <laughs> <laughs> those were insane. Are you saying you're not going to do them again? Is that, are you? Are you out yeah, I think I'm year? out on those this year. <laughs> well, I mean, with the other thing I'm going to be doing, I think it's going to be a lot. Mm. Well, you know, if you guys don't know, James did an amazing job, like incredible job with the uh, the schedule stuff last year. That was such a huge help to everybody. Help for me. Uh, so <laughs> everybody and me. <laughs> yeah, like it, 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 the way I see, it, if I'm using it, then like y'all should be using it too. I am that egotistical about what I use. <laughs> And no, it was it was such an amazing thing, and it takes a lot of work. So, great job with that. Thanks for indulging me with the extra question. Uh, I think it's just a fun one. I'm curious what you guys uh, thought. Yeah, listen, we've got nothing else to talk about here. There's still no <laughs> baseball. As soon as we end this, we're gonna go check our phones to see if Passon has any updates with any right. sort of actual information that can be useful. Up, James gave me the one. What do you got, James? It was a thread. After he said that initial tweet, he tweeted okay. seven minutes later, eight minutes ago. I'll just read it now. Let's just yeah, go ahead. for it. At the risk of being Debbie Downer, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves here. The meeting was contentious. There is a lot, a lot left to work out before this new labor deal. This could still take a while. But the fact that it didn't go backward when it could have, W, period. Question mark W, period, is how Jeff Passan ended that. All right, Jeff. That's, that's good. Jeff is our man. We are so lucky to have Jeff Passan. I, I, I really cannot express that enough. <laughs> I love him. Uh, I like him. <laughs> Yeah, we've we've had some contention with Jeff Passan here on the Best Up Podcast. <laughs> we understand sorry, that Lawmet, Lawmet, Lawmet's harvest clicks, and Jeff Passan leans into that more than you probably should. Oh, what did he do? What he's did he had do? A, he's had a flurry of tweets going back. <laughs> There's just yeah, like like James says, Guys. like it's just Mets get clicks. Okay. We understand it from a okay. Business wait, standpoint. wait, wait. Hold on, hold on though. First of all, I, I know I've been borderline insulting at times in this podcast and i apologize profusely it's all a bit it's all for fun all tonning cheek especially because i've gone through it all my life now i i understand so much of the mets i guess plight everything you guys have been through that i feel that as great met fans you know how to embrace that and make fun of yourselves 
Jeff, I imagine, was not being negative of it. You should be happy that he acknowledges that plight. We're aware that he's aware, and I can respect that from the perspective of content creation, but once in a while, I'd like to maybe just back off for a second. Like when Zach Scott gets absolved of his DUI because of a a court malpractice, and then people are like, the Mets jumped the gun and firing their GM who slept in his car in Connecticut, blue blood alcohol level over the legal limit. You know, like that is not really a reason to dunk on the Mets for prematurely firing a general manager who was sleeping in his car at three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, you know, I hadn't thought about Zach Scott for a while. Oh, no <laughs> reason to. Yeah. Really it was, no it was a good to. time, James. <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever you got to do. <laughs> well, anyway, we've gotten unbelievably sidetracked here. Yep, a little bit. As we, as we wrap up our interview with Nick Pollock. Nick, real quick, again, huge thank you for coming on and talking about the Mets, Mets pitching, everything. Uh, we really did go all over the place with this one, so I'm sure the viewers are going to enjoy it. Tell everyone where they can find you. Again, plug pitcher list one more time um, and anything you want to talk about. I mean, we're our one-stop shop for baseball. Just come on by to pitchless.com. We do everything fantasy, but we do everything baseball, too. Um, we have, I think, 15 podcasts, 15 to 20 podcasts on our network. You should definitely be checking out. But yeah, we have a mega launch on February 8th, PL7. Um, I can't say anything more, but like you really want to know what it is for any baseball fan, not fantasy. And of course, come by to PitchCon Wednesday, January 26th, 11 a.m. Win free prizes, all the fun stuff. You guys rock. Seriously, I've been very lucky this past year to interact with you guys a lot more. And uh, it's just a ton of fun. I'm so happy you guys are in New York. This is the best. Yeah. No, it's right. nice, and, and especially when you know baseball does come around, we're gonna we're gonna have to maybe get together, maybe do an in person, grab a beer, you know, figure yes. something out, and uh, talk a, a little more Mets baseball with you. Oh, definitely, I'm so down for that. Okay, anyone who loves baseball, make sure you check out PitchCon. If you like listening to me and Mark talk, we're both gonna be there. Anyone who loves fancy baseball, stay with Pitcher List all year. I got some big things going on this year with them, with Nick, of course, too. And it's gonna be a great year of baseball. We hope. Yes, yes, without a doubt. Nick, thanks for coming on and uh, messed up listeners. That was our interview with Nick Pollock. Thanks for listening. That was amazing. Yeah, man. So it was good to get Nick finally on because I know you've you've known him a little bit longer than me, and mm-hmm. I kind of know you know him through you. Uh, and he's he's a great guy. And being the fact that he's in New York as well, we see him at games all the time, like we mentioned in the interview. Uh, he's definitely going to be popping on here every once in a while during the season as well. Yeah, for sure. Nick is fun. Nick is knowledgeable. Nick has uh he's very. Uh, he's been doing this for a very long time, very consistently, and he's good. When Pitcher List started, Nick was a one-man show. He was literally writing up every single night how every single pitcher did, recording his own podcast, the First Pitch Podcast. That was like a good preview, daily preview for fans of baseball players, 15, 20 minutes every single day. So he was doing all of that after the games ended and before he went to sleep every single day for years and years and years before he added more people in, added more people in, added more people in. This year, the new PL7 is going to be a major update. It's going to be – it really is one of the premier – baseball size the internet it's going to have some major additions to it i think everyone is going to like a lot and again it's just fun yeah so make sure you guys definitely go support all the stuff he does picture list find it google it you'll be able to find all the nick stuff there big thanks to him for coming on again i know we've probably said it on the outro of the intro or the interview but we'll do it again and then uh i guess the last thing we have to talk about here just real quick hall of fame got announced i know this has nothing to do with the mets because we didn't really have anybody on there but david ortiz never really do yeah big poppy got in which good for him he deserves it 100 percent 
No Bonds, no Clemens, no Roland, no Andrew Jones, no... Uh, no Uber, Wagner. No Wagner. Yeah, Wagner's the worst one. Wagner deserves to be a Hall of Famer, no doubt. Um, I mean, you've been tweeting a little bit about James. Real quick, what's your take on the Hall of Fame voting, everything that's been going on? It's just, I'm so tired of the way we go about the Hall of Fame, because we basically have these 500 or some odd writers who are kind of just stuck inside their own brains all the time. There's probably like, out of all the 500, I'd be... IBWW is that IBWWA is that the acronym? I don't even care. International yeah. Baseball Writers Association of America. These guys are mostly just all either way too stuck inside their own takes, or just really behind the times, or they just really only care about themselves, and they really only care about the way they interact with these players. And it doesn't make any logical sense in my brain to have David Ortiz, a guy who has been caught taking steroids, was never suspended by Major League Baseball, but neither was Barry Bonds. Yeah, and Barry Bonds was never suspended. doesn't make any sense that he could be in the Hall of Fame on the first ballot as being a player who never played defense and had like 13 like really good years really really good years but he wasn't someone who was really if you look at the entire body of work an elite 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 player he was a very good one doesn't make any sense that he can get in the hall of fame the first time and barry bonds cannot get in at all yeah and even a guy like roger clemens who i hate that guy's guts he's one of my least favorite players he actually is my least favorite player of all time he was also a bit of a sexual predator so was he really you didn't know that no i did not oh yeah he had a relationship with a young girl for a long time oh no okay um, that's not good. As a pitcher, very good. Yeah, that stuff, bad. No good. Yeah, Roger Clemens had what was reported by the New York Daily News in 2008 as a uh, decade-long affair with an aspiring country music star, Mindy McCready, that apparently started when McCready was between 15 and 16 years old and Clemens was 28. Ooh, don't like that. Okay, well... Uh, and he was a married father of two already. Yeah, that's gross. Um, not great. Not good. Jerry Seinfeld part two, but hey, <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we can stop talking about that now. We're done with that. Anyway, the Hall of Fame, it's just... It's, it's, it's stupid. It's it's like, it was really... I remember when I was young, it was really cool, and it was something that I was like, this is this is amazing. This is so cool. There's this, this baseball Hall of Fame, but it feels like, like you said, it's a popularity contest. It's an ego... Uh, you know, check for all these writers. There was a guy who tweeted out today that he finally gave up his vote. He's like, I haven't covered baseball in 10 years. Yeah, Brad Costello, the guy who does all the film uh, recaps for the Jets games. Yeah, he's like, I gave up my vote because I haven't covered baseball in 10 years. He's like, and the fact that Barry Bonds isn't in, I don't want to be associated with it. So, like, that stuff needs to happen more. But then you got a guy like Dan Shaughnessy or whatever for the Boston Globe who's a certifiable moron. I mean, Ugh. absolute idiot. Racist, whatever he is, he has some racial comments in the past about David Ortiz and other Latin players that you're like, mm, you probably shouldn't still be having a job. And then like, he also has pubic hair for hair. Yes, the worst hair in the world. <laughs> I mean, like, there's just a lot of people who don't have the proper information, who don't have the proper head between their shoulders to be making such an important decision for what is supposed to be like the telling of the history of the greatest game on the earth in baseball. Like, we're not having Barry Bonds, the greatest player of all time, maybe top five if you really want to make the argument because of steroids, not in the Hall of Fame, is just absolutely asinine. And even Jeff Passan dropped an article about it saying that baseball's failing by not having him in there, and I agree. Especially, like, if you're not taking a hard stance against every steroid user ever. It just seems like the writers are basically picking and choosing as a unit who gets in and who doesn't and takes steroids. David Ortiz took steroids. Everyone knows that. I still think he's a Hall of Famer despite the fact he took steroids. And David Ortiz makes less sense than Bonds with the steroids because it seems like steroids would really fuel David Ortiz's massive success in the mid-2000s rather than Bonds, who had a Hall of Fame career before he ever even put head in the home runs. And then it also brings up the whole thing of, like, well, what is a performance-enhancing drug and what isn't? Because guys took greenies for decades upon decades, and while that isn't going to make you physically stronger, well, it definitely 
boost your performance without a doubt. I mean, you're more locked in, you're more focused, you're more jam- like amped up, ready to go. And they also became illegal after a certain point. Similar to steroids that were not illegal up to a certain point, or not banned, a banned substance by Major League Baseball up to a certain point. So it's really, it's a gray area that no one has seemed to be able to actually create the differences in the mug and like actually look at this in a nuanced, intelligent way. So it's just, it's pure randomness. And it's just these writers just stroking their own egos year after year. Yeah, it sucks. It's just become like a bit of a, it's a hot topic for the month of January when nothing's going on in baseball. And I feel like especially this year, because there literally was nothing going on in baseball more so than ever, but the hall of fame will go back to being what it is. And we'll talk about it again next January. That's all we got for the hall of fame for you today. But I think it's a great way to ep- wrap up episode number 72 of the messed up podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for watching. If you're on YouTube, messed up podcast, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at Metz Up. Follow James on Twitter at Jeter Had No Range. Me at Giraffe Mark. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen. Drop us a five star rating. Drop us a review. Really do appreciate it. And uh, yeah, that's where we'll wrap it up. We'll see you guys next week for another episode. Maybe we'll talk about Once Upon a Time in Queens. Maybe we'll talk about baseball. Who knows? You'll have to find out then. Thanks, guys, for listening. We'll see you next time. Peace out.